Well, good morning. Morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Lots of food, not so much talk of politics. Hope it was a good time with family and friends. Uh, my name is John Malsted. If you're new to Northbrook, one of the pastors here, uh, and so excited as we begin our Christmas series. Can you believe it? We are in that season. Uh, speaking of Christmas, two announcements before we dive in. Number one, ladies in the room. Our Christmas coffee is coming up a week from Wednesday and Thursday, December 7th, December 8th, and uh, I have never been invited, but I've been told that it is a great night, a great opportunity to invite some girlfriends uh, together to come and have some time to fellowship and also hear uh, a great message and a good service. Uh, This year, the speaker, Jenny Heckman, is actually our our newest hire at Northbrook. She's going to be starting in January as our pastoral care pastor. And so uh, if you haven't met Jenny, it would be an opportunity to get to know her a little bit before she starts working at Northbrook uh, January 2nd. So um, that is announcement number one. Uh, If you are interested in tickets, you can find those on our website. Head to northbrookchurch.org and uh, the events tab, and you can find tickets for uh, those two nights. Secondly, uh, we have an uh, Advent guide for you that we encourage you to pick up. It's in the lobby. Um, And uh, in the guide, there are four readings to help you uh, prepare your heart for Christmas. And, um, you know, if you're like me, I always enter the Christmas season with great intentions to really dive into the meaning of Christmas and spend some time reflecting on what Christmas is all about. And then I wake up and it's January 1st. Um, And I don't know about you, but Christmas seems to fly by. And so we're trying to create an opportunity for you to be intentional this Christmas season. And we create it in such a way it doesn't require a ton of time. Again, uh, four readings with some reflection questions inside here. So you can do them once a week or whatever uh, rhythm works best for you this Christmas season. But uh, this is something you can go through by yourself or with friends, or family members, as a couple. So encourage you to grab one of these and uh, be intentional this Christmas season to take some time to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. Um, in conjunction with that, if you have small children at home, we also created an Advent activity uh, kit to help our, our young children uh, kind of understand and uh, and and be able to uh, appreciate the beauty of Christmas through some activities. And so uh, everything, this uh, is in this packet, as well as the instructions and uh, all the supplies for the activities are in this kit. You can pick this up downstairs in our NB Kids area. And um, if you have a friend or maybe you're a grandparent and you want to bring one to uh, your kids, you're welcome to grab one for a friend as well. And if you haven't checked out our NB Kids area, we just recently remodeled it. And it looks great. Uh, our team did a great job. It's kind of got a North Woods feel. And so if you have not been down there in a long time, uh, go check that out and grab an activity kit. Sound good? Yes. All right. Ten of you are like, that sounds amazing. The rest of you are like, let's get on with the message. All right. Christmas season. Here we go. I love Christmas, and I love celebrating Christmas season, which started, by the way, at 12.01 a.m. Friday. Some of you started celebrating early. It's okay. No one's perfect. God forgives. That's a joke. Maybe. 
I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. Uh, I love the Christmas knickknacks. You know, you walk into Hobby Lobby and you're like, yes, I'll take one of everything. And then my wife goes, no, we're on a budget. I'm like, oh, we won't take one of everything. I love uh, the Christmas lights, Christmas trees, Christmas cookies. You know, calories don't count around the holidays. That's the beauty of the Christmas season. Speaking of calories, eggnog, anyone? Eggnog? Just don't look at the calories on the back. It ruins it. It really does. And of course, Christmas movies. Any Christmas movie fans in the room? Oh, Christmas movies. Can we, can we just have a moment of silence? No, no, just hear me out. We need to have a moment of silence for all the big city bankers and lawyers that are going to get dumped this holiday season for a small town business owner in a Hallmark Christmas movie. They have feelings too, you know. Do I know how a Hallmark Christmas movie is going to go 10 minutes into the movie? Yes. Am I still going to watch it? Yes. Absolutely. Christmas truly is my favorite time of year. I believe it is the most wonderful time of year, but it's not the most wonderful time of year for any of the reasons that I just mentioned. Christmas is, in my mind, the most wonderful time of the year because it reminds us of something that happened 2,000 years ago that changed the course of human history. And over 2,000 years, people have celebrated that moment, uh, different languages, different continents, different celebrations, and it's truly remarkable, a, a birth of a child in a small village And yet people are celebrating it thousands of years later. It's truly remarkable. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you you have to admit that nothing in the past 2,000 years has changed the course of human history more than that baby being born. But maybe today you walked in and you're not feeling in the Christmas Spirit. Maybe you walked in today and you're not feeling the music, the movies, the lights, the decorations. Maybe it all just feels a little too commercial. Or maybe because of the past few months or the past few years, you're just not feeling the joy and excitement of Christmas. Well, here's the good news. Christmas is especially meant for you. The Christmas story is especially meant for those of us who don't feel in the Christmas spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. Christmas can certainly be enjoyed by those of us who hum, all I want for Christmas is you while drinking eggnog, while decorating a tree, while watching It's a Wonderful Life. But Christmas, the beauty of Christmas is especially meaningful for those of us who walked in today. And if we're honest, we just want to get through the holidays and start over in January. And so we want to begin this Christmas series by starting in the past. We're going to go back to that first Christmas, and I want to share with you today three ways that the Christmas story is good news for those of us who don't feel in the Christmas spirit. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the Christmas story in Luke 2 begins with a powerful government issuing a decree to make life harder. It's nice to know that some things never change. And so Mary and Joseph have to make the 90-mile trek from Nazareth, where they are currently residing, back to Bethlehem. Now, this 90-mile trip would have taken them four days to a week. Uh, Obviously, we're not talking about modern-day travel. They would have been walking. There possibly would have been a donkey or a camel for Mary, most likely a donkey, if, if any animal at all. And Mary is nine months pregnant. Think about that. They're making this trip four days to a week to go back to Joseph's hometown, to all of his relatives, Mary being pregnant, but the baby isn't Joseph's. I'm sure it was an uneventful trip with no tension or arguing between them. And they get there, and of course, there's, there's no hotel, there's no inn, just Joseph's family's house, and it's already packed with relatives. And so most likely out of kindness, because Mary didn't want to give birth to her child in front of all of Joseph's distant relatives, they, they are given the, the most secluded, quiet place that can be offered, the, the stable or cave where the animals are kept. And so it is in this stable or cave with all the smells and sounds of animals that the baby is born. And he's placed in a feeding trough. There's no drummer boy. It's not a silent night. There are no three kings, though there are an undisclosed number of wise men that will bring three gifts a couple years later. And it's not December 25th. But it is beautiful and wonderful, and it will change the course of human history. And an angel of the Lord comes to shepherds 
out in fields nearby and announces that a baby has been born. But not just any baby, a Savior, God with us. So they hurry to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is a small town. Uh, estimates put Bethlehem at a population of about 300 people, smaller than the size of the, pe- of the group that is gathered in this room right now. And so it wouldn't take the shepherds long to find a stable with a baby in it. And after seeing the baby, they go and they spread the word around that little town, and all who hear it are amazed. It's a simple story, and for those of us that have grown up in church, we've heard it a time or two. And yet, in the familiar, it's easy to miss the significant. And so today, again, as I said, I'd like to share three thoughts with you on why this story is such good news for those of us that might need it most this Christmas season. So number one, Christmas is good news for those in a season of waiting. I think it's the human condition to go through seasons where we're waiting, but nobody likes it. Maybe some of you in the room find yourself in a season of waiting right now. Waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Waiting for a child. Waiting for a grandchild. Waiting for a new job. Waiting for a health situation to improve. Waiting for a loved one's health situation to improve. Waiting for a financial situation to improve. We all find ourselves in seasons of waiting. And in seasons of waiting, for followers of Jesus, I think it is very common for us to begin to question, what is God doing? If God is so loving and so great, like scripture tells us, then where is he in our seasons of waiting? It's easy to forget with all of the hustle and bustle that goes on in Luke 2 that before Jesus comes to earth, the Israelite people hadn't heard from God in 400 years. God had been silent He hadn't spoken to the prophets. He hadn't spoken to anyone. For 400 years, the Israelite people waited. 400 years. That's a long time. 400 years ago, it was 1622. 400 years. That's a long time. Next time you're in line, you think that's a long wait? Things can always get worse. And in those 400 years, the Israelite people wrestled with questions like, does God care? Is God paying attention? Is God angry with us? Is he disappointed with us? Is he punishing us? Has he forgotten us? And the beauty of the Christmas story is that as God sends Jesus, the question to all of those things was answered. And the truth was that in the waiting, God was working. In their waiting, God was at work Positioning the world for the exact moment in time when everything would be ready for Jesus to come and live and die. In their waiting, God was working. And the beautiful news of Christmas is that in our seasons of waiting, we don't have to wonder if God is angry or disappointed or forgotten us. The truth of Scripture, as illustrated in many areas of Scripture, but especially in the Christmas story, is that God is at work even in the seasons where we're waiting. 
In Romans 8, 28, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, even in our seasons of waiting, God is at work. In John 5, verse 17, Jesus is working on the Sabbath, and some of the religious leaders are, are just angry at Jesus for working on the Sabbath. And in John five seventeen, Jesus replies, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now this is a direct reply to the religious leaders, but I think in Jesus' reply, he reveals something about God's nature. God is a God who is always working on our behalf. There are no moments where God says, you know what, I'm going to leave you on your own. I'll check in in a week or a month or a couple years and see how you're doing. That's not the nature of God. Our God is a God who is always with us and always at work. And while there is free will, I have the right to make bad choices. People around me have the right to make bad choices. Even in the midst of the bad choices, God is still at work on our behalf. In our seasons of waiting... God is very much at work. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow is the reality that God is at work in your season of waiting. A number of years ago, uh, my family went to a fast food restaurant. Uh, it was a Sunday. It was pretty busy. Obviously, it wasn't Chick-fil-A. So it closed on Sunday. But anyway, we ordered. And of course, it was busy, right? So I knew the food might take a little bit. So we sat down and we waited. And five minutes went by. Not a big deal, right? It was busy. And then about 10 minutes went by, and I'm going to be honest, I, I was pretty hangry, you know, I was uh, pretty, pretty hungry, angry, and, uh, you know, I, I was trying to play it cool. Uh, I would like to say it's just because, you know, I'm a good follower of Jesus, but to be honest, I don't know which one of you are in that restaurant watching my behavior, so I got to just, you know, always act like I'm in a great mood. And so... Um, 15 minutes goes by, and you know, I start, you start doing that thing where you're looking around, and you're like, okay, well, that person ordered before me, so that's fine that they have their food, but that person ordered after me, that's not okay. They, you, know, you ever done that? You've all done that, yeah. So I'm doing that, right? And then, so then I'm starting to think, okay, how long do I have to wait before I can, I can go up to the counter and not seem like a jerk asking about my food? And so 20 minutes goes by, I'm like, all right, it's time. So I went up there, and of course, I was very polite, because I can fake polite when I'm not feeling polite. And I asked where my food was. I'm just being honest. And I asked where my food was very politely. And they had somehow misplaced our order. Um, not a big deal. They remade it. But, you know, it was, I'll be honest, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a rough 20 minutes. First world problems. But it, it wasn't my finest hour. Contrast that with a couple of years ago, my wife and I went on our anniversary to a very nice, fancy restaurant. And I know it was nice and fancy because there was way too much silverware. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like... Way too many forks. I just follow my wife's lead. I'm like, all right, whatever fork she grabs, I'm grabbing. Hopefully we have the same food items, and it works. We'll be wrong together if we're wrong. She's never wrong, so I can just follow her lead. <laughs> and uh, we ordered our food. She ordered steak, I ordered ribs, and they brought her drinks. And we waited for 20 minutes. And it didn't bother us at all. We sat, we chatted, we talked enjoyed each other's company. In fact, we probably would have been a little disturbed if five minutes after we ordered, they brought out the steak and the ribs. We would have been like, did you guys microwave this? Like, what's going on? Two totally different experiences, both 20 minutes. What's the difference? 
Well, in the second experience, we trusted that what was going on behind the scenes was going to be for our benefit. Not only that, we we also expected that it was going to take a while. And yet, how often in life, if we're honest, when we get into a season of waiting, do we expect that God is going to work right now, and we're not so sure if he is working on our behalf? And so we get anxious, we get frustrated. And yet, I wonder if in our seasons of waiting, if we had a posture that said, you know what, God's timing is not my timing, this may take a while. But I trust that he's working on my behalf. I wonder if the seasons of waiting would get a little easier. Notice I didn't say easy. Because we go through seasons of waiting that can be very painful, very difficult. And I'm not here to tell you that if you just trust that it'll all be fine and you won't, it won't be difficult. But, but what I am suggesting is that when we have a trust that our Heavenly Father is at work in what we're going through, the situation becomes a little less difficult to walk through. What would it look like for those of us that walked in here in a season of waiting to daily remind ourselves that God has not abandoned us, he's not angry with us, he hasn't forgotten us, that he is at work in our season of waiting. Number two, Christmas is good news for those who feel unseen. The Christmas story is full of unlikely nobodies playing the lead parts. Mary and Joseph weren't people of status. God could have sent his son to a king and a queen, or at least a power couple, but they weren't Jory. You know, power couples, you combine first names, Joseph, Mary, Jory. Okay, you got that. They weren't a power couple. In fact, Mary was probably between 13 and 17 years old. When she got pregnant with Jesus. Joseph was a carpenter in a small town. And yet God chooses these two unlikely people to be the parents of his son. And God chose to announce his son's birth to shepherds. Again, God could have chose anyone. People with money. People with connections. But he chooses shepherds. And I think it's easy to miss the significance of that choice. The shepherds had no social status in Jesus' day. If Twitter had been invented then, their only followers would have been their moms and spam accounts. Shepherds were dirty and smelly. They were out with the sheep. But because they were out with the sheep, they were also, more importantly, considered religiously unclean. So they were not allowed into the temple to worship. Many religious leaders looked down on them, so much so that in the oral law, one rabbi said, no one should feel obligated to help a shepherd who fell into a pit. You want to know how you know you're on the bottom of your society? When your own religious leaders say that your life is not worthy of being saved just because of your profession. Shepherds were also considered liars and thieves, so much so that they were not allowed to be a witness in Jewish court. They were insignificant, they were rejected, they were not allowed in the temple. But God sends his angels to announce to shepherds the birth of his son. 
almost as if to say, if my religious leaders won't let you close to my temple, how about you come and experience my son firsthand? What a night for the shepherds. They, they had never been asked to announce anything by anyone. And God picks them. The ones who couldn't even testify in court were picked by God to testify about the birth of his son. God chooses unlikely, unseen people to be a part of what he's doing in the world. All throughout scripture, we see this theme. Think about David, King David. David was one of the last of his brothers. In fact, when Samuel goes to pick a future king, David isn't even invited because all of his older brothers are there and there's an assumption that one of his older brothers is going to be picked. Any, any babies or, or younger children in the room? You know, you got older siblings. Some of you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about then, right? His older siblings were expected to become the king. But God picked David. New Testament. Jesus picks disciples. They're fishermen and tax collectors. To be the founding fathers of his early church. So perhaps for some of us, this year has been difficult. And we, we come into the Christmas season and we, we feel like... God never could use us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Maybe our life hasn't panned out the way we thought it would, or maybe we just come into this year feeling like we have nothing to offer God or the world. And the beautiful news of Christmas is that God chooses unseen people to be a part of what he's doing in the world. God sees people who feel unseen, undervalued, and he uses them to bring his goodness into the world. Number three, Christmas is good news for those who don't feel enough. You ever felt like you're not enough? You're not a good enough parent, not a good enough spouse, not a good enough friend, not a good enough family member, not a good enough employee, employer, Maybe you compared yourself to others and felt lacking. Or maybe, maybe you've, have you ever felt like you just weren't good enough for God's expectations? Like you had let down God, you'd failed God, like God was disappointed in you? You weren't enough? It's easy to be unaware of or forget about the world in which the Christmas story takes place. There was a belief 2,000 years ago that permeated most of the known world... And that belief was this, human beings have no value. You are born with no value. In fact, it was very common in Jesus' day for parents, after they, had, after they had a child, they had to make a decision. The decision was this, do we keep this child, or do we take it outside the city walls, and do we leave it for the wild animals to eat? That was the decision that every parent faced after their child was born, because the belief was a human being had no value. You had to earn your place in society. You had to earn your place in the world. And the gods cared nothing for you. And if you wanted the gods to favor you, to bless you, to look, to look kindly on you, you had to earn it. You had to sacrifice. And if you made a mistake, the gods would punish you. Sometimes the gods punished you and you weren't even sure what you did. But the assumption was, if something bad happened in your life, you were being punished for something you did or your parents did. And so there was no need for compassion or mercy if you saw someone in pain or suffering because the belief was that they deserved it. They had done something wrong. The gods were punishing them. 
And into that world comes the great reversal. Into that world comes Jesus. God sends Jesus not because the world deserved it, but because the world needed it. God wasn't interested in anyone proving their devotion to him. Instead, God proved his devotion and love for all. In fact, before this time, in many civilizations, there was a belief that the gods might require you to sacrifice your own child. And in a beautiful reversal, God sends his son to be sacrificed for you. See, Jesus is the ultimate rebuttal to the belief that God must be placated, bribed, or appeased. In Jesus, God comes to us expecting nothing in return and giving everything. In Jesus, we find out the value that human life is worth. In the 1980s in London, at a yard sale, a woman bought a $13 costume jewelry ring. And over the next 30 plus years, she wore it frequently, running errands, shopping, doing household chores. And after 30 some years of wearing the ring, a jeweler happened to see the ring and said, you might want to have that checked out. And so in 2017, 30 some years after buying it for $13, she had it checked out. It turns out her $13 ring was in fact a 26 carat white diamond from the 19th century which she was able to sell for over $800,000. Ladies, check your jewelry boxes. <laughs> for 30 years, she believed her ring was worthless. Until someone that had knowledge came along and told her that her ring was in fact very valuable. See, for thousands of years, human beings believed that a human life was worthless or are worth very little. And maybe you could be worth a little bit more based on your gender, the color of your skin, your, the family you were born into. But even then, your life was worth very little. But then God becomes one of us. He sends his son to live and to die for us and he tells us through sending his son that a human life is in fact priceless to God. That your life is valuable not because of anything that you do, but because of who you are. A child created in God's image. And see, some of us, we, we come into the Christmas season and we feel like we're... We're $13. We're worth $13. And if we work really hard next year, maybe, maybe we'll be worth 20 And the beautiful good news of Christmas is there is nothing you can do to increase your value, to increase your worth in God's eyes. You are enough, not because of anything that you've done, but because of who God says you are and what God did. And so you can be a good spouse, you can be a good parent, you can try to be a good friend, good coworker, but it's not because you're trying to earn anything or prove anything. It's because you are taking the love of God and you are sharing it to the people that are around you. But there's no pressure to earn something from God, to prove something to God. That's the gift of Christmas. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it is a gift. 
to be accepted. So maybe this Christmas, you walked in today not feeling all that jolly, not feeling in the Christmas spirit. But maybe in the story of Christmas, there's peace for you. Peace on earth is not just a future idea. It's available to us now as we rest in the goodness of what God has done. And so maybe if you're here today in a season of waiting, you can find peace in knowing that God is at work in your life. Or maybe if you feel unseen, you feel like you have nothing to offer the world, maybe, maybe the message of Christmas for you is that God is very much interested in being a part of what he's doing in the world through your life. Or maybe you come into the Christmas season not feeling good enough. And maybe there's an opportunity to rest and find peace and joy in the fact that Christmas reminds us that God says you are in fact enough. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love, and I thank you for sending Jesus to earth. I thank you the question of how much a human life is worth was forever answered when you sent your son to live and die for us. Father, may we be able to rest and enjoy the true peace, hope, and joy of Christmas not because of all of the commercial things, all the, the fun things around us, but because of the truth, the reality of what it is we're celebrating. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.